And once you've turned there, let me ask if you would humble your hearts with me and ask our Lord to speak. Father in heaven, we just want to come empty-handed and humble and soft and ready to hear from you. Um, I pray that you would just humble our thought life, um, our intellect, our, um, our wills to accept what you have for us this morning. We want desperately for your name to be honored and glorified. I would love, we would love not, nothing more than for your spirit to um, create a fire within the hearts of your people here, not only at Parkway, but other churches scattered throughout town, that we might be a, a living testament to Christ and, and that we would see light dawn on our city and, and in our neighborhood. So, Lord, please. In this time we have together, I pray that you inspire us, encourage us, perhaps convict us, and, and show us the truth as it relates to uh, missions right here in our own hometown. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, one of the things that we have wrestled with as a leadership team, the elders and pastors, all of us, is the question of how do we or how can we be used by God to unleash the people of Parkway, in a way that radically impacts our city and our town? How, how do we mobilize uh, this, this church to be an active part of God's ministry in this town? Because we believe unanimously that there is latent, um, untapped, unrealized potential in this church to do massive things. We have some amazing people, amazing talents, amazing resources. People are theologically grounded, biblically Um, knowledgeable, and how is it then that we take this resource that God has placed here, and how is it that we better unleash what is, I think, and we believe, bottled up here? How do we do that? Of course, the first step is to pray, because unless it's a movement of grace, then we just end up spinning our wheels. We're like people trying to pedal a bike in a swamp. It just doesn't work. We have to actually get on our knees and ask the Lord repeatedly, Lord, will you please unleash the the talent and the resources that you have placed in this church. But another way that we believe will help unleash that is to widen our rather narrow understanding as to what constitutes valid, legitimate service to Jesus. As for whatever reason, whether intentional or unintentional, whether it's out of fear or desire for control, The church has given people the impression that the only valid and legitimate service to Jesus is largely done in the church. Largely in these walls or in the structured ministries of the church that is structured programs, which aren't bad, but they're structured uh, ministries like children's ministry or quest or high life or, or small group ministry. So for whatever reason, we have... The church in large has created this impression that the only valid and legitimate service to the mission of Jesus is largely done in the walls of the church and in and to the church. And as a result, when people don't give a significant amount of time to the ministry in the church, they're made to feel guilty. And guilt is a terrible motivation for ministry. And when that happens, I, I, I believe, I, the church becomes somewhat of a vacuum. You know what a vacuum cleaner is like? It sucks everything up. And, and when we make people believe, whether, again, intentionally or unintentionally, that the only valid or legitimate service to Christ is done in the church, then we end up kind of sucking up all the resources of God's people out of the world and into the church. 
I remember, now this is kind of extreme, but I remember visiting a church in, while I was in college, we were a part of a singing group that went to church to church, and we ended up at this large, huge church in Texas. Everything's big in Texas, right? Well, this is a huge compound, multi, multi-million dollar compound. We walked into the gymnasium, they had a gymnasium, and there were five to six full court basketball courts. And adjacent to that was another huge room with a lot of volleyball courts. And there was, in a different room, there was weight sets, state-of-the-art weight sets, kind of a health spa. There was a bowling alley with at least four lanes and an assortment of stores. That's an amazing, amazingly expensive building. A lot of resources went into that so that people, Christians, don't have to go out to the athletic club in the city or where lost people are, they can come to church and work out. Instead of going out and signing up for the softball team out with lost people, they can now play basketball in the church. And what you end up doing is sucking the, the Christians out of the community into the church. It becomes a vacuum cleaner. It seems to me that the church is probably, in terms of an image, probably supposed to be more like a leaf blower than a vacuum cleaner. No, I know you don't like John Barry said, I hate leaf blowers. They're loud and they don't do anything but give me asthma. But it's, you know, it's one of those machines that, that spins at a high RPM and it just blasts the wind right out and makes a difference out there. And it seems to me that's more of what the church is supposed to be about. As we gather in here to worship Christ, and we, in the worship of Christ, there is to be a stirring and an intensification of our passion for Him so that we can leave and go be more passionate about Him out there. Um, that we come here to, to have our souls nourished in the Word, to find direction in the Word, to seek strength in the fellowship so that then we can be blown out into the community and make a difference. Not a vacuum, but a, but a, but a leaf blower. And what I would like to do in our remaining time that we have the next few minutes is, is to widen our view or to crush that narrow view that Ministry and legitimate valid service to Jesus only happens in the confines of the church because I don't believe it does. So let me give to you three service, if you call them service, principles that I hope will reorient our thinking and approach as a church so that we won't be a vacuum but a, a church that mobilizes and launches people out into the place where light touches darkness, a place where spirit touches people in bondage to sin. Principle number one, it's not profound, but it has tremendous implication and application for understanding service, is this. The service to the mission of Christ encompasses all of life. Let me say that again. That service to the mission of Christ encompasses all of life. And verse that I think best fits that truth or informs that truth is found right here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where Paul writes, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way, for I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. What I love about these, this particular set of verses is that it combines the mission of the Christian, the purpose of the Christian life, with the comprehensive nature of that service. The mission or our main goal of all life is found in the words, do it all for the glory of God. 
That is to make Him big, to exalt Him, that people should see in our words and the way we live our life that our God is massive. That's, that's what people should see. That's what should be reflected in our lives. And if you're familiar with the mindset of Paul, the, the glory of God is centered in the exaltation of Jesus. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and chapter 4. That as Christ is exalted in the lives and in the speech of God's people, then God is glorified. And as Christ is exalted in the speech and the lives of God's people, people are saved. That is to say, there is this connection between the salvation of people and the glory of God. And you find it right here in this particular set of verses, where right after he says, do it all for the glory of God, he then goes on to explain how living for that glory, what it looks like. When he says, do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, that is people inside the church or outside, that's Jews, Greeks, or church in, in the church of God, regardless of ethnicity, that is don't cause them to stumble, don't be a hindrance to them, even as I, now he uses his own approach, I try to please everybody in every way. Paul's saying that he, in essence, is a people pleaser. If he was working for somebody, he would say, I, I seek to please my boss in every way. If he was married and he wasn't married, he'd seek to please his wife in every way. If he was living in a neighborhood, he'd seek to please his neighbors in every way. But not a people pleaser with selfish and self-centered motives. And a lot of people are people pleasers for very sinful motives. But rather he goes on to tell why and what motivates him to please the people around him. He says, for... I am not seeking my own good. In other words, this desire to please people doesn't have my own good in, in, in store, but the good of many so that they may be saved. So he lives in such a way, and he's encouraging the Corinthians to live in such a way as to not cause people to stumble in the process of coming to salvation, but actually to live in a way that might win them to salvation. And that's how he lives to the glory of God. Those inseparable combination of living to the glory of God and the salvation of people. It's, it's in essentially one and the same goal. We live our lives in such a way that people might be saved in the name of Jesus and bring God glory. It is the overarching principle that binds together every area of my life and should your life and also bind together all of our lives together collectively. So whether you're a pastor or a plumber or a painter, we have the same basic goal in mind. And that is to live in such a way in the pleasing of people and working to the benefit of people that they may see what we do, hear what we say, and they might come to salvation to the glory of God. That is to bind. That's my purpose, and it should be your purpose. So here you have in this verse the, the outlining of the purpose, the mission, once again, of the church. But you also have tied to it the comprehensive nature of this mission. For he says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all. It's like he kind of says it, he's repetitive. You might say he's redundant. Eat, drink, whatever you do, do it all. Whatever and all. He says it twice. Whatever you do, all of life, everything is to be done to the glory of God salvation of people everything so if you own your own business your main goal is not to make money a business can't exist without 
making money, but it is to make money in such a way that your customers, and to relate to customers in such a way that they see the way that you live and your ethics so that they might be saved to the glory of God. That's, that's the driving principle of business for the Christian. The driving principle of the pastor or the person who is, as I said, a plumber or a painter. It is the mission statement of your life, whether you're inside or you're outside of the church. That is to say, all life is service. Not just service in the church. One's entire life is to be offered up as service to Christ. That is legitimate and valid ministry and service to Jesus. I think for me the big question and also the big problem is not are people serving in the church. The question is are people serving in life? Are we serving in life? Because if we're only serving in the church, then quite frankly, we're being disobedient. When you clock in at work, you're on His time. When you clock out of work, you're still on His time. Still serving. All of life is rendered as service to Christ. So that's principle number one, is that service to Jesus and His mission is all-encompassing. It's not compartmentalized. It's all-encompassing. The second principle is a derivative of the first. If the first one's true, then the second, I believe, is also true. And that is this. The service to the mission of Christ may come in any form and take place in, in any place. That is, any manner and any place. That also is reflected in this particular set of verses. When he's saying, so whether you eat or drink, he doesn't talk about whether you teach Sunday school or whether you're a pastor, whether you're an elder or a deacon, whether you're greeting or whether you are making coffee in the church. He says, whether you eat or you drink, you drink the, 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 the mundane things of eating and drinking become a means to serving God. And not just in the church, but outside the church. The context of these verses is in the home of a pagan. You back up a few verses to verse 27. This is what he says. He says, If some unbeliever invites you to a meal and you want to go, eat whatever is put before you without raising questions of conscience. In other words, if they place a slab of meat, this, this pagan people, couple who invite you into their home, and they put a piece of meat, don't ask any questions, just eat it. Because you might find out if you ask questions that it was just offered to a pagan idol and in that case, it might be a stumbling block to the person who invited you if you eat it. A stumbling block to their own salvation. That's what he goes on to say. He says, don't ask any questions. But if anyone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it for both the sake of the man who told you and for conscience sake. The other man's conscience, I mean, not yours. That is, he's saying, you're invited into a home, then you need to be careful what you eat. If he tells you that it's offered to idols, don't eat it because you don't want to be a stumbling block. If he doesn't tell you what it is, eat it because you don't want to be a stumbling block. In other words, they're serving to, and, and, and eating and drinking to the glory of God by being careful, thinking of the host, and eating in such a way that the person might come to salvation and thereby live to the glory of, of God. In other words, they are honoring and serving Jesus on the basis of what they're eating and drinking in a pagan home. It can happen in any form. Ministry can happen in any form and in any place. So conceivably, one could serve Jesus on the golf course. 
one could serve Jesus with a fishing pole in his hand out in a boat in Lake Berryessa. That one could serve Jesus as a painter. That one could serve Jesus leading a troop of Boy Scouts. Or someone could serve Jesus as a coach to a Little League baseball team provided, here's the key, provided the main intent for being there is to live and speak in such a way so the people you're doing it with, whether on the golf course or in the fishing boat, might come to Jesus to the glory of God. If that's the aim, then I think it's legitimate, valid service to Jesus. I mean, I think that's what was in Paul's mind when he, he understood all of life to be service, where he says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, talking about the slave and master relationship, or in our time it's more of the employee-employer relationship. He says, serve your master with all of your heart. Working hard. Whether he's there or not, because in the end you're not really serving him. He goes on to say you're serving Jesus, right? Jesus is, is your boss, so serve him there. That becomes your ministry. If it's sweeping a floor, that becomes your ministry as unto the Lord. Not only is it legitimate and valid ministry to Jesus, but it's rewardable ministry to Jesus. He says, I will reward you if you do it for me. But it encompasses all of life. And it can happen in any form. In any place. That's why he says to the wife in the same context, here's the reason and why you should submit yourself to your husband and relate to him properly. Because you do it as unto the Lord. So even in the domestic responsibilities of a wife, she is serving Jesus, if indeed His glory is at the center and the desire to bring her, uh, her husband or others watching salvation. It becomes valid and legitimate ministry. Paul made no distinction in his mind between the sacred and the secular. I know many of you work in a very secular environment, a corporate environment. That's not secular for the believer. No life, part of your life is secular. It's all sacred. You walk there, it becomes your ground of ministry. Your place of serving Jesus. You walk out of that, you get in your car, that becomes your place of service to Jesus. You get home, you're with your family, that's your place of service at that point to Jesus. You go out with your friends on the golf course, that is your place of service to Jesus. He made no difference, no distinction between secular or sacred, between the private life and the public life. It's all to be lived for the salvation of people and the glory of God. And he made no distinction, I think, in his mind between those who are in the church and those who are outside the church in terms of service. That is, Paul knew very well that there's two spheres of the church. There are those who have already come to faith and are already in the established church. And there are those who are outside the church who will someday be in the church. The future believers that Paul talked to, uh, excuse me, God talked to Paul about when he was in Corinth. He said, you need to stay here. Be courageous because I still have many people in this town. And you being here, they will be reached. That means even in your service outside to the community, you're still serving the potential possible future church. People who are yet to come to believe. So what does this mean? I, I, I think it means that, that you, can, you can serve the Lord as a legitimate and valid ministry in a host of different ways all over the city. 
and you should. You know, if you were a, 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 you're a great coach, little league coach, and that's where God's grace is, is working in your life, and you see fruit from it, that's where you need to be. You know, if there's a guy who's a lousy Sunday school teacher, but a great coach, he doesn't need to be in the Sunday school classroom. He needs to be coaching little guys on the field. That's what he needs to be doing. And praying for their little souls. And he needs to be um, leading them in such a way to care about others and, and work as a team and, and, and relate to the parents in ways that show that he really cares about the parents so that they might see and might come to faith to the glory of God. That is legitimate, valid forms of ministry. So when someone says, hey, where are you serving the Lord? You can say, I'm a coach. That's what I do. That's one of the ways that I serve. I serve in lots of other ways at work and at home and so forth because all life, right, is service to Jesus. But, but that's how I'm serving right now. Or let's just say that you, you love the Boy Scouts and you're a troop leader and, and, and you love your kids and you see God working through those relationships. You know, you don't need to come here and spend five, ten hours a week to make yourself feel better that is in the church when maybe you should spend a lot more time with your kids and being intentional about living your life in such a way before your little scouts that they might see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That is legitimate, valid ministry. I love what Pete Gaudet does. Every year he organizes a, uh, um, a hiking trip. And we all go up and we hike up Half Dome. It's not a sponsored ministry of our church, and it's not a structured ministry of our church. And inevitably, there are always unbelievers with us because we take friends. 17 miles round trip. Captive audience. That right there is service to Jesus as you're walking on the trail talking about life with an unbeliever. At that point, you're serving Jesus on the trail up to the top of Half Dome all the way back. That is legitimate, valid ministry. In other words, you can hike to the glory of God and you can kayak to the glory of God. You can, you can serve Jesus in so many different ways. And what we're basically saying is if principle number one is right, and that is uh, service to Jesus encompasses all of life, and if that means that, that ministry, valid ministry can happen in almost any form and any place, then you need to go for it and not feel guilty if you're not putting some preconceived arbitrary number of hours in to the church, provided you honestly, in the sincerity of your heart, you know you're doing it for Jesus. The way I think of it in terms of my mind looks like this. Mono, can you put up that, that image? If I was to take a piece of paper and I was to put a line down the middle, on the left side you have in the church, and outside, on the right side you have outside the church, I think we should have the freedom to have different percentages in each side. So some people might spend 99% of their service outside this place serving the Lord. And he shouldn't be made to feel guilty that he only has 1% service in the church. Others might be more 40-60. Or there's a person like me, probably the third believer here, where most of my time and most of my efforts go into the Christian community and happened in the context of the church and in, in structured ministries. And people like me, and we need people to serve in the church, don't get me wrong, shouldn't be made to feel guilty because 99% of my life is in the church and I have 1% or 2% outside. See, this should be 
if we give each other the freedom and we stop trying to make people feel guilty for having their own unique calling, it seems to me we'd be a lot more happy, a lot more joyful, and a lot more free to serve Jesus as He calls us. It's, does that make sense? Well, it makes sense to me, anyway. And I hope that this has the, 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 well, the effect of, of, of liberating you to actually serving Jesus where He calls you and doing it without guilt. I would say that I think it's important for each of us to have at least 1% on the opposite side. I know it's important for my life to continue to have an edge where I am rubbing shoulders with unbelieving people, and I do. It's a small percentage, but you know, I know the names of some of my clerks or people who check my groceries at Rayleigh's. I know some of them. I talk to Jonathan, ask him, hey, how's your, how's your new baby and how's the new marriage going? And I'm trying to build a relationship with him. Or when I go to Slotel Athletic Club, Athletic Club, or I am in the context of my own neighbors. I, that's, that, that's where my shoulders rub with unbelieving lost people. And it's important for me to do that. But it's not where I spend most of my time. And, and some of you are extremely good at being out there and, and rubbing shoulders with lost people. And that's where you need to be. But I would encourage you to at least have 1% in the church. You can do something that's non-time intensive. You know, you can greet once a month or you can usher people when the, you know, walk them down the aisle, you know, once every other month. That's a small little way, 1% that you can serve. But then don't feel guilty. That's all, that's all you give, provided provided that you really are serving Jesus in the rest of that 99%. So it encompasses all of life, which means that ministry can happen in almost any form and any place. And let me just give one last one. And it has to do with determining where you should serve. Um, And that is uh, serving the mission of Christ is all about following the Spirit's call on your life, the Holy Spirit's call. You might be in a place where you're new to the town, just transferred into Travis Air Force Base, and you're thinking, ah, oh, where, where should I serve the Lord in this new place? Um, should I do Boy Scouts, or should I coach? Should I make some kind of ministry out of kayaking or rock climbing? What, 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 what should I do? And to that, I think the, the Spirit of God provides leadership. I am completely convinced in the dynamic work of the Spirit in the body. And that He will lead us if we seek His leadership. And of course, He leads us through the Scripture, but the Scripture doesn't always give us the specifics of coaching Boy Scouts. There's no verse that I can point to to say, hey, it tells you to go to Boy Scouts or it tells you to teach Sunday school. I believe the Spirit will lead. I really do. We find all through the narratives of Acts that the Spirit is the one who directs and leads the church. Peter, for example, is up on top of his roof and the Spirit says, basically, you need to go to Caesarea. Spirit comes to Philip and says, hey, I want you to go down south because there's a person I want you to meet. And the Spirit directs him to this Ethiopian eunuch, tells him about Jesus. He gets saved. He's baptized. And then the Spirit directs him away. Uh, Acts chapter 13, we find the people are worshiping and the Spirit directs the people to launch out Paul and Barnabas on a mission. We find in Acts chapter 16 that Paul is prevented from going into one area by the Spirit and led into a different area, Troas, by the same Spirit. That is, the Spirit is directing the church all the way through. It's it's what Jesus said in John chapter 16, that the Spirit will guide you and and He'll place a call in your life. I, I, I believe that if you seek it. And you might ask the question, so what's a call then? What, how do I discern a Spirit's call in my life? And, 
And I think it's a combination of three things. It could be more than this, but um, three things. One, it, it, it's, a, it's a sense of burden that the Spirit gives you. A burden slash desire. Sometimes it's a, it's a sense that, boy, there's a need there, and those people really need help, and I desire to fill it. And it's a unique burden. Other people don't share it at the same degree as you. That is perhaps the beginning of God's call in your life. Um, but then added to that sense of burden and, and, and desire is the resources or the gifting to actually fulfill it. I mean, if you, feel, I feel, if you feel a burden to teach, for example, but you can't teach your way out of a paper bag, then you're probably not called to teach, even if you have a desire. There has to be a desire and the resources to actually fulfill it, whether it's gifting or financial resources. And then the last thing I think you need that, that constitutes a call in addition to the burden and the resources is the opportunity. There's just got to be an opening, an opportunity for you to actually fulfill what you believe God's call is on your life. And when those three things come together, I think you discern, hey, that's what the Spirit wants me to do. And you go for it. We've had a number of ladies some years ago, it's quite a while now, who saw a need in our church. They saw people who were grieving the loss of loved ones. And, and, and they themselves had lost a lot of, of family, parents and siblings. And so they had this burden for people who were grieving. And so they had the desire, they had the experience or the resources, and then they came to the, to the leadership of the church and said, we really like to start a ministry to the grieving. We want to call it Hope Ministry. And after some preparation, some conversations, basically it was like, go for it. And they have ministered to lots of people in this church following God's call on their life, including myself, because they followed the Lord's call. There was a burden, there were the resources, and there was the opportunity. What is the burden that God has placed on your heart? The need that you don't see being filled? That you think, I, I have a desire to do that. Do you have the resources? And if you have the resources, why don't you ask around and see if there's the opportunity. If there is, go for it. Go for it. It might be something that doesn't even exist. Go for it. And you see, my friends, my family... I hope that you share at least a flicker of a desire to see this church body mobilized, unleashed, and launched in a way that radically impacts our neighborhoods. And I think a big part of that is remembering, or should I say widening, our understanding of what constitutes legitimate, valid service to Jesus, which is all of life can happen in any form, in any place. Follow the Spirit's call on your, on your life. Follow His call on your life. Because we don't want to be a church. I don't want to be a church that's a vacuum that sucks Christians out of the community, but rather we'd like to be a kind of church that mobilizes and launches people into the community and frees them to do what they've been called and designed, what they're passionate about for the glory of Jesus. And perhaps, perhaps just then, we'll start to see some of that unrealized, untapped potential that God has placed in this church by the grace of God unleashed and this place changed. So will you make that a prayer with me um, as we move forward as a church and even now as, as we turn our hearts to worship? Will you bow your hearts and just ask, Lord, will you please unleash us, unleash us to, to be your people, help us to serve. And if you're struggling with an area to serve, pray that prayer. Ask, Lord, where do you want me to be? Will you please just spend some moments in prayer? Ask the Lord, please unleash us on the world.